and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Revelation 21, verse 1 through 5, and uh, if you're taking notes today, which we highly encourage, uh, uh, this, the, the title today, it's Maranatha, the hope of the resurrection. And uh, I just really feel like it's significant for, for where God's going to bring the whole church in, in 2022. He's already been doing it, but specifically this year and the next few, I think this is really going to be a big deal. Maranatha, if you're not familiar with that word, it means come Lord Jesus. Actually, the early church used to greet each other with that word Maranatha. It was kind of their code word. Uh, and it was in intense persecution uh, that had come against the church. And they were constantly reminding each other, the Lord's coming. The hope of the resurrection is right on the horizon. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. He's going to awaken the cry again in his bride. Revelation 21, listen to this. This is pretty, pretty awesome. This is John talking. Uh, he was on the island of Patmos. They tried to boil him alive in oil. They couldn't kill him, so they banished him to an island. And he has the greatest revelation of the end of the age ever recorded anywhere in the next 22 chapters. Then I, John, saw a new heaven. Everybody say a new heaven and a new earth. Everybody say new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down. Everybody say coming down. Out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away tear, every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Verse 5, and he who is seated on the throne said this, the pinnacle of, the new, of, the, of all of, of Scripture concerning your future. Behold... I'm making all things new. If that doesn't get you excited, (laughs) it's like there's nothing that's gonna. Behold, I'm making all things new. I'm sure uh, most of us could probably relate to this experience on some level where like you head into something and you kind of got some expectations, certain expectations of how that specific thing is going to go. Like, if you're like me, anybody else have overactive imagination? Like, I'm me, okay? If you're like me, then your mind usually takes you, uh, takes you there in theory long before you actually get there in reality. Anybody, anybody else like me? And you, like, you played the whole thing out in your mind before you ever get there. And so you, like, you got all these ideas formed about what it's going to look like and how it's going to play out, only to get to that certain scenario and your expectations like what happens. They get blown out of the water like a ship getting hit with a torpedo. Am I, anybody else ever had that happen? Right? Mark just had that happen on Christmas Day. <laughs> Didn't turn out anything like we imagined. It was either way better than it was or way worse, depending on the circumstance. Didn't even come close to what you had made up in your mind, right? So quick story. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with my family and, and our journey, 
uh, we have a family of six. Um, the start of 2020, so a couple years ago, we felt like God was calling our family of six to leave the comfort of what we knew behind, set out on a faith journey of trusting God, which translated for us into quitting our jobs, selling all of our stuff, and buying a camper for our family of six to live in. And we set out on a journey to partner with a worldwide missions organization called YWAM, Youth with a Mission. It's an acronym. We would drive some thousand miles uh, to Orlando, Florida for six months where we would do this missions training school. And then from there, we continued our travels all over America. Uh, It was the best decision we've ever made as a family. All that to say, uh, we pulled out of our driveway in Republic with a travel trailer. Never drove one of those before, by the way. And now I'm driving it a thousand miles to Orlando. Everything we own is behind us. Uh, it was March 2020, okay, and we all know March 2020, the pandemic had just hit the shores of the United States. Everybody's freaking out. The world's burning down. Everything's up in the air, except for one thing. We felt like God told us to go, and all we knew was like, if God doesn't show up, we are going down. We're going down. Needless to say, we had lots of expectations going into this adventure, right? First off, we're headed to Florida. That's cool, right? And we're thinking what everybody thinks of when they think of Florida. Beaches, sand, flip-flops, and tank tops. Break out the sunscreen. Give me some a beach ball or something. But when we pull onto the missions base, uh, where we would be staying for the unforeseeable future in a camper, there was no sand, there was no beach, and there was no water park. We pulled onto a 200-acre property that it can only be accurately compared to Jurassic Park for real. The giant gates swing slowly open that hold the T-Rex back, like the music starts playing. What's that? What's the Jurassic Park theme song? All of it. We quickly realize we can't wear flip-flops out here. We will lose toes. Our four kids, they're in heaven. You know, we didn't see them for the first week that we were there unless they were hungry or tired. They showed back up to the camper just head to toe, covered in dirt. Clothes are ripped, torn, shoes are missing. They're, they're living the dream. Long, long intro, but all that to, to say this. So one day, Brooke and I were driving back to the camper from lunch, which was on another part of the base. And we can see our middle son, Jojo. He's off in the distance on the side of the road, dirt roads. And he's doing something, but we can't quite make it out because it's a little too far off. And, and we get a little bit closer, and we realize Jojo, he's trying to pin the head of a snake down so that he can pick it up. Okay, now it's not that big a deal because that's JoJo and that's just what he does, except he's using a Swiss Army knife to do it, which has about a one-inch blade on the thing, right? Now, remember, we're in Jurassic Park. We get close enough and we realize the snake he's trying to pick up with a Swiss Army knife is the second deadliest snake in the world, only topped by a black mamba. He's trying to pick up a coral snake. Throw Throw that picture up on the screen if you got it. Nose picture? That's all right. Before I can touch the brakes on the car, Brooke goes into full level mama bear. She kicks open the door. The car's still moving. Jumps out like a Hollywood movie. I've never seen her feet move that fast. I mean, she bear tackles our son out of the way, saves his life from the serpent. What we expect determines how we respond. What we respect, expect determines how we respond. JoJo's approach 
to the second deadliest snake in the world was no shoes, no shirt, no problem. What's the problem? Give me a Swiss Army knife. His response was casual because what he expected was casual, right? He had no idea what this thing was capable of. He had no idea what the actual implications could be. He just thought it was a cool colored snake, so he didn't give it a whole lot of thought. You guys following me? Awkward transition. I wonder if uh, we can compare that story in some ways to the average church-going, Jesus-lover's relationship with the idea of the age to come, right? Or the coming kingdom of God, which will be fully manifest and established at the second coming of Christ. It's sort of like approaching the second deadliest snake in the world with no shoes and a pocket knife. We have very little idea of the actual implications. And so we're just kind of sort of casual about it. Uh, and if we're honest, can we be honest? By and large, I think we could all probably admit that we just, it's, we're somewhat disinterested in it. And, it, and there's, the proof is that we just don't give it very much thought. Like, so, okay, so when was the last time you had a passing thought about the age to come? When was the last time, right? When was the last time you sat down at Starbucks with your favorite latte and your best friend, and you had a rousing conversation about what you'll be doing and where you'll be for the billions of years after this age is over? We don't. Oh, yeah, there's the coral snake. Look at that guy. No shoes. Look, he's not wearing shoes. Gosh. I believe, uh, I believe the whole, it is pretty, yeah. I believe the Holy Spirit uh, in this hour, and I'm talking about the 2020s, this, this decade. I believe it's the most dramatic transitional decade in history. I know that's a dramatic statement. But we can all see it, right? Like life on the planet is changing right? It's never going to go back to the way it was before 2020. Just bury that thought, right? And one of the things that the Holy Spirit's doing and emphasizing is I believe he's getting the body of Christ to transition to an apostolic gospel paradigm, okay? Or the gospel of the kingdom. Okay, so what the heck does that mean? Well, glad you asked. The mindset that's really common in the Western world and really all over the world is that the primary area of blessing that you and I, the primary area that we're looking for, is for God to touch with his power our natural temporal circumstances. And so more money, more health, more power, more influence, right? Which isn't bad, but it's actually, that's actually a secondary issue in the gospel that the apostles preached in the Bible, the gospel of the kingdom, the primary issue that the apostles emphasized in the epistles was that the decisions we make in this age affect the age to come. What we do in this age has a payoff in the age to come, right? That's the primary issue in the New Testament presentation of the gospel. An eternal, it's an eternal perspective. Understanding the biblical perspective of the new world order under Jesus' government and leadership is absolutely critical for us because it affects how we see our future, right? And what we believe about our future affects how we live right now. When we keep eternity in mind, 
when we keep eternity, when we're intentional about keeping eternity in mind, it makes us really focused and intentional about living of what we do right now. It's what Paul meant. He told the Corinthians, fix your eyes on things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Fix your mind on things above, not things below, for you've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Right? Having an eternal perspective, it actually means we think about eternity. Right? We cannot afford, church, to misunderstand and underestimate our destiny. An anemic perspective of our lives in the age to come, it actually makes us casual about how we live right now. What we believe about where we're going forms how we live today. It's a really big deal. It's a big deal. And the Holy Spirit's going to emphasize this a lot in the, in the years to come. We actually uh, made a decision, and we began to spark this conversation in our students uh, with our small groups, because students, how many know, they'll actually tell you what they think, right? Uh, and so we asked them, like, hey, uh, what's the first thought that comes into your mind when you, when you think about eternity? What's the first thought? Doesn't take long for one guy to chime in, right? Uh, and he says, you know, I guess, I, I mean, I feel a little guilty about this, but uh, heaven kind of sounds boring. I mean, are we just going to go to church all the time or what? I love youth. <laughs> if we pay attention, they are very often saying what we're all thinking. And I would venture to say that this is one of those instances, right? And not, maybe we haven't locked that in, but somewhere deep down, we all know right? This young man probably speaks for many of us that when we actually do stop long enough to think about eternity, the second coming of Jesus, and the age to come, our thoughts are mostly abstract, obscure, somewhat ethereal, kind of like floating on a cloud and playing a harp somewhere, some kind of eternal church service in the sky. We're going to spend billions of years singing. I know there's streets of gold. That kind of sounds cool. But meanwhile, we fantasize about the boat we want and the trip to Italy and the chocolate eclair and the Chiefs going to the Super Bowl again. Amen. I got more amens for the Chiefs than I did about Revelation 21. Right? I mean, heaven definitely sounds better than the alternative. But if that's the best we can come up with... No wonder life here seems so much more exciting. No wonder we're held captive by the temporary. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break in and steal, but rather store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's the gospel of the kingdom. So let me ask you what we asked our students. <laughs> what comes into your mind? When you think about eternity, the coming kingdom of God, and the age to come, it's the first thought that comes into your mind. What specifics are you banking everything on? <laughs> Do you have any? Right? I know when I pause and reflect on it, the entire concept is pretty much empty in my soul, like an attic in an abandoned house. Beloved, this place in your heart needs to be filled with rich images of real anticipation 
The hope of the resurrection and the coming kingdom of God are meant to be the fuel that sustains our journey here. Maybe the reason you're losing heart is because you don't really understand the unspeakably glorious realities and rewards and the promised return of Christ that is right around the corner. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance that when you do the will of God, you will receive the promise. Check this out. Let's dive into this a little bit. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9. If you want a great chapter on the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection chapter. Go home and read the whole thing. Read it really slow. And as you read it, say, Holy Spirit, show me more. Thank you that this is my story. Show me more. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, 19, we got that? Look at this. This is what Paul says. If the only benefit of our hope in Christ is limited to this life only, we deserve to be pitied more than anybody else. But C.S. Lewis said it like this. If you read history, you'll find that Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most about the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think about the other world, they've become so ineffective in this one. The person that truly understands that their destiny is glorious and certain is the person that will be the most free to live radically with love and sacrifice here on earth. It's, the, it's a big deal. The age to come, it's the most beautiful, hopeful, glorious promise ever made in any story, religion, philosophy, or fairy tale, and it's real, and it's ours. We really have it made. As we see ourselves in the story, we give, begin to be motivated by it. So, my goal this morning, I've got a long message, sorry, but not sorry. So, my goal this morning is to give you a few ideas. I want to stir up your holy imagination. This place in our hearts needs to be filled with real anticipation and glorious images. So I want to look, if you're taking notes briefly, two things. I want to look at the renewed earth and our resurrected bodies. The renewed earth and our resurrected bodies. I, this is probably my favorite subject right now. This is, I love it. Uh, and it's an eternal perspective, okay? So the Bible gives us enough framework, enough information enough understanding surrounding the kingdom of God and the implications for, for you and I uh, that we could kind of put it together and come up with, a, with the framework, okay? There's a lot of details we don't have, obviously, but there is a general framework, and if you're hungry enough, uh, you can put together the broad framework, and we can begin to understand some of what our life's going to look like in the age to come. Not all the details, but we can know more than just a little bit. Okay, so obviously I'm not saying we all need to become experts in this, but I do believe the Holy Spirit is asking the bride of Christ to start leaning into this conversation in little ways more and more. Okay, number one, the restored earth. Oh, buckle your seatbelts. This is fun. Revelation 21, verse 5. Here we go. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Everybody say all things. The centerpiece of God's eternal purpose. This has always been the final destination for all of creation in the heart of God. It has never not been this. 
right? It's never not been this. This is what everything we see going on in the earth today is setting the stage for. Let that shape your perspective. That Jesus will come back to the planet and he will, when he comes back a second time, beloved, he is staying for good to fully establish his kingdom over all the earth as he joins the heavenly realm and the earthly realm together. This is the fullness of what Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Finish it for me on, on earth as it is in heaven. It's the pinnacle. The entire Bible takes place with these words, I'm making all things new. It's the final word of God. It's the summation of all other biblical texts regarding your future. Contrary to popular belief, Jesus is not coming back to destroy the earth. He's coming back to restore it. And I think many people have this ominous idea that, you know, in the end times, God's going to annihilate the current realities and create new ones. But that is not what the Bible teaches us. Notice that God promised to make all things new, not all new things. Right? It's a new heaven. It's a new earth. It's a new Jerusalem. Yes, heaven, earth, and Jerusalem are going to be renewed and remade in perfect glory at the coming of the Lord. But notice something. It is still heaven, earth, and Jerusalem. Right? In other words, the primary message of the kingdom is restoration, not annihilation. It's good news. Now, yes, there's some passages about the end of the age that, you know, give Kirk Cameron a run for his money on his best day. But the implications are always that the earth is cleansed and renewed, not vaporized like the Death Star. I wonder if some ways we have misunderstood our destiny. If you're like me, I thought we were leaving the earth and going to some ethereal heaven somewhere at the coming of the Lord, but that's not Bible. You want to know what your future looks like? This is your future, beloved. Grab a hold of it. You want to know how your story as a follower of Jesus is going to play out? We will be renewed in full resurrection potential at the age to come, and the life we have and the persons we are will continue forever. And it will continue on the universe in which now exists. Contrary to popular belief, Jesus isn't coming to take us to heaven. He's bringing heaven down to us. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, coming down out of heaven. Look at this. Let's build on this a little bit. Matthew 19, throw that up, 28 and 29. This is Jesus talking. He says, truly I tell you, at the, what's those next four words? At the renewal of all things. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wives or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and inherit eternal life. At the renewal of all things. The renewal of all things. And if you, if you look at, I'm just teaching you a little bit. You look at the original Greek words used here for renewal. It's one of those puzzle pieces that helps us develop what our life's going to be like in the age to come, okay? The word renewal used here is the word palingentia. It's a Greek word made up of two root words, paling, which means again, and gentia. Guess what that means? 
the beginning, right? Pointing us back to Genesis. In other words, Jesus is telling us that the renewal of all things is what? It's Genesis again. It's Eden restored. The kingdom of God means the great restoration. Beloved, we were made for the renewal of all things. God has given us a heart for the kingdom, not the vagaries of a cloudy heaven and a harp, but the sharp reality of a world made new. It's one of the most important things that we can know about ourselves. It's our story. It's our future. The great renewal, it rescues us from the unimaginable, out-of-reach visions of an eternal life somewhere up above. When Jesus speaks of the restoration of all things, it's tangible. It's tangible. The renewal of all things, it means the earth we love, the special places, the treasured memories, they're completely restored and renewed under Jesus' leadership in perfect glory and then given back to you forever. Mm. It's going to be the Garden of Eden reality unlike anything we've ever known. It's your future, church. Right? God is calling us through the promise of the renewal of all things into hopeful expectation. He's lifting our gaze to the horizon so that we would begin to live for the real thing that's in front of us. The the renewal of all, this is supposed to be the center of our view of the world. It's supposed to be our hope, our tangible expectation as we plan out our lives moving forward. If our idea of heaven is sort of like we're going to be sitting on a cloud floating around for a thousand, for billions of years, we might think about that occasionally, and it 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 motivates us maybe a little bit. But if there's actual material dimensions to this, and this is actually our story, and it's how we're going to live for billions of years, and my choices right now actually affect my life in that age, that will motivate us. The renewal of all things, it changes everything. Check this out. First Corinthians. Uh, we won't go there. We're going to run out of time. Yeah, we'll run out of time. Go to Isaiah 11. This one's fun. Isaiah 11:6. Look at what the prophet saw when he gazed into what's coming. The wolf will romp with the lamb. The leopard will sleep with the kid. Calf and lion will eat from the same trough. And a little child will tend them. Cow and bear will graze the same pasture. Notice the material dimension. Their calves and cubs grow up together, and the lion eats straw with it like the ox. The nursing child will crawl over the rattlesnake's den. Jojo's going to love that. The, toddlers, the toddler will stick his hand down the hole of a serpent. Keep going. Neither animal nor human will hurt or kill in my holy mountain. The whole earth. <laughs> the whole what? The whole earth will be brimming with knowing God alive. A living knowledge of God as deep as the ocean. Just drink that in. It's a river of pleasure that the Spirit is leading us to drink deeply from. It's this passage obviously clearly describing the kingdom of God operating in its fullness here on the earth. Okay? And unless you want to take this as completely allegorical, what do we see in the new, in the age to come? Answer the question. 
wolves, lambs, goats, lions, bears, lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. It's our story. It's all ours. And we can never lose it because of the ransom that our Savior paid for us. What will it be like to explore the beautiful places that have been completely restored and renewed in the glory of God without limitation? Without a curfew, without the the end of vacation looming over our heads. For billions of years, we will explore and discover and we'll come home and sit around the campfire and tell stories about it. We'll take up new adventures with those who want to sail the seven seas or climb the peaks of the Andes or range the universe. These things are utterly real and the most concrete part of our future. Hold fast to the hope set before us, beloved. And be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Look at Zechariah chapter 9, verse 16. Can we throw that up there? The Lord their God will save his people on that day as a shepherd saves his flock. And they will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. How attractive and beautiful they will be. What will it be like to no longer be assaulted? To be free from accusation? To look in the mirror and no longer hear the accusing voices and thoughts? To be completely free from temptation and and the sabotage of your character, not because you're successfully resisting in a moment of great resolve, but because it no longer exists. Oh, my. What will we do in the age to come? Well, the simple answer is you'll do everything you were born to do. What a day of rejoicing that will be. This is our story, church. Don't you dare dumb it down to something that you can. (laughs) Eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, nor has ever even entered into the imagination of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. That's your grid for this. Don't you dare let somebody dumb it down. 2 Corinthians verse 5. Actually, no, let's not do that. Let me read Revelation 22 and then we'll close. If you just want to, just just close your eyes for a second and just let your imagination be filled up. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. 
through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruits, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They'll see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will not need lamp of light or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. And the angel said to me these words, they are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servant what must take place soon. Soon. And behold, Jesus said, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse 17. The clearest picture that we get of what the church is going to look like the closer we get to the end of the age. The Spirit and the bride say, come. There is going to be a unity between the Holy Spirit and the church like we have never known before the closer we get. They're saying the same thing. And what they're saying is come, Lord. Come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who's thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take of the water of life without price come. Verse 20, the closing verse of the Bible. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. And if it was soon then, you better believe it's sooner now. And then listen to what the church says. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come, Lord. We long for your return. We desire for the day of the renewal of all things. We long for it. We want to hasten your return. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Come for your beloved ones. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.